Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, where we are set to continue our reflections into these special topics. Now, before I get into our principal subject matter for tonight, I did just want to uh, bring your attention to the fact that we have had a a bit of a power surge here in the radio station. So if the sound is a little different, (laughs) um, that is why. Um, I did some pre-recording here, and it sounds like my uh, sound is okay. So we will just go ahead and uh, run with that. As far as tonight goes and our principal subject matter, I am going to respond to two separate questions that really I have yet to treat explicitly. Now, these questions are on two separate planes, uh, two separate categories, but I thought we can tackle both of these questions in our time together this evening. The first question is this, what is the teleological argument for the existence of God? Okay, what is the teleological argument for the existence of God? Or as we will see, what is the argument by design? All right, to the second question that we're going to take up, this is more of a question about Christianity and other religions. The question was put forth, don't all religions lead to the same God. So our second question, our second question will take up some of the main religions we see across the world, what they believe, and ultimately why, in fact, Christianity is different. Okay, so those are the two questions we will take up. And to the first, what is the teleological argument for the existence of God? First, we should define our terms, right? I've used the word teleological now three or four times, and you're probably thinking to yourself, teleo what? (laughs) All right. Teleological. Um, The word teleology comes from uh, telos, which simply means purpose, okay, or goal. So teleology is the study of purpose. In principle, my friends, the idea is that it takes a purposer, if you will, to have purpose, right? And so where we see things obviously intended for a purpose, we can assume that those things were made for reason. Hence, we call the teleological argument for the existence of God the argument by what but design. Essentially, as a purpose needs a purposer, a design implies a designer. We, I think, instinctively make these connections all the time, huh? The example has been given. The difference between the Grand Canyon and Mount Rushmore is obvious, right? One is designed... The other is not. I I think it is pretty obvious that the Grand Canyon was clearly formed by non-rational natural processes, whereas Mount Rushmore was clearly recreated by an intelligent being, a designer, okay? When we are walking on a beach and, and find a wristwatch, no one assumes that time and random chance produced the watch from blowing sand. Why? Because it has clear marks of design. It has a purpose. It, it conveys information. 
it is specifically complex. In no scientific field, my friends, is design considered to be spontaneous. It always implies a designer. And the greater the design, well, the greater the designer, right? Thus, you know, taking the assumptions of science, the universe, you know where I'm going with this, would require a designer beyond itself, a supernatural designer. So the teleological argument applies this principle to the whole universe. If designs imply a designer, and the universe shows marks of design, then the universe was designed. Clearly, every life form in Earth's history has been highly complex. The human brain has approximately 10 billion gigabytes of capacity. This is unbelievable when you really think about it. On a more personal level, I tend to reflect into the intricacies of baby development as it always floors me to reflect upon the wonder of creation inside the womb. I mean, if you were to really think about it, you have a single male sperm finding the mother's egg and conception occurs, right? And this new single cell known as a zygote contains all of our genetic information needed for the new human being to develop throughout life. So my life, your life, started as a single-cell zygote. And around four days, five days, the zygote now consider, uh, consisting of 32 cells becomes what? Known as an embryo. And during the next seven and a half weeks, the human embryo develops all of the body's systems and structures. At four weeks in utero, the human heart is growing at an astounding rate of one million cells per second. The mind, which I just said has what, approximately 10 billion gigabytes of capacity, can hardly fathom that. Huh? At eight weeks, organs like the brain, the liver, the kidneys start functioning inside the, the tiny human life. As we know, life support systems continue growing and becoming ever more sophisticated until, of course, the baby's able to live outside the mother's womb, uh, the mother's protective and nurturing womb. The convergence, my friends, of literally millions of things that needed to go exactly right for you and I to be able to hear, see, smell, taste, feel as we do is, again, astounding, astonishing. The intelligent design of our creator is mind-blowing when you really think about it. What's more, the whole universe, the whole universe seems to be designed for life. Literally hundreds of thousands of conditions being required for life on earth. Everything from the mass density of the universe down to earthquake activity must be fine-tuned in order for life to survive. The random chance of all these things occurring is beyond imagination. Coincidence, no God incidents. My friends, uh, God doesn't play dice. The idea that this is all random chance 
is more than just against normal odds. The odds are many orders of magnitude higher than the number of atomic particles in the whole universe. I mean, with this much design, it is difficult to believe that we are simply an accident. In fact, many, uh, many atheists through the years have converted to, at the very least, theism, if not into Christianity, based largely on this argument. Now, in addition to demonstrating God's existence, I think the teleological argument exposes also shortcomings to the theory of evolution. As many of us might be aware, the intelligent design movement in science applies information theory to life systems and, and shows that chance cannot even begin to explain life's complexity, something we've touched upon this evening. In fact, even single-cell bacteria are so complex that without all of their parts working together at the same time, they would have no possibility of survival, no survival potential. That means those parts could not have developed by chance, right? Oh, by the way, Darwin recognized that this might be a, a problem someday just by looking at the human eye. Little did he know that even Single-celled creatures have too much complexity to explain without a creator. All right, now, I want to take this argument into the sphere of encountering God on a more personal level. I was just talking about our five senses, the human power to see, touch, hear, smell, and taste. These are there, my friends, that we might access things as they really are, and as we do, participate in created things as they are, which, oh, by the way, according to God, is good, very good when it relates to encountering other human beings. What happens to the soul when it encounters a reflection of beautiful design? I have shared recently in other settings an experience I recently had with my children. I was working in my back office and it had just rained and the sun had come out. And two of my younger children came running in to my office. Dad, 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 you know, you, you got to see this. You got to see. It's like, okay, what do, what do I have to see, right? <laughs> so they were running out of my office and they went running out front and they're, they're looking up at the sky and my wife is out there, and then all four of my kids are out there, and they're, they're just marveling at this. And my youngest, five-year-old Sienna, is, is dancing in the sprinkler. She's so excited about what she saw. And when I looked up, it really was quite fascinating. I not only saw a rainbow, but a double rainbow, right? <laughs> and my kids were so excited at seeing this double rainbow, and now they wouldn't put it this way, but they experienced a, a profound aesthetic arrest. Their soul had encountered something, a deep reflection of God's intelligent design, a deep reflection of God's love for us. Huh? What is my point in reflecting upon this? Well, the intelligent design of the creator that is all around us is not there just to prove God's existence, my friends. But for us as sons and daughters of God to contemplate God who's creator, but also 
Father. One points to the other. We have two creation accounts, right? In the first creation account, God is Elohim, the one who creates. In the second creation account, God is Yahweh, the one who fathers. God creates, and as he does, he fathers. And as we read God's love letter to man in creation, a double rainbow, (laughs) we ought to be falling more in love with God. Okay? All right, that being said, to the next question. Don't all religions lead to the same God? Don't all religions lead to the same God? Well, as suggested in the opening here, what I would like to do is look at some other religions to then look at uh, Christianity. First, let's take a look at Hinduism. Now, most people in India, if we're to look at territories across the world, um, I think I've read somewhere recently, if there are 294 million people in India, over 200 million people consider themselves to be Hindus. Now, to the question, does the practice of Hindu worship lead to the same God to that who practices Christian worship? Well, what do Hindus worship? Hindus worship an infinite oneness made up of ultimately over 300,000 gods and goddesses. And the Hindu worship ultimately works to be free from karma by meditating on Brahman, right? This, this idea of oneness. And how do they do this? But by venerating their gods and goddesses or practicing their various ceremonies. Hinduism, my friends, to be shortened to the point, in its belief system is very, very far from believing in the one true God and has nothing to do with Christianity in its belief system. Okay, I'm not judging um, anyone's soul and their goodness. No one is made to do that, right? But what I am saying ultimately is that the revelation they claim is not Christian, okay? Now, second, Buddhism. Buddhists do not believe in any god or supernatural power, right? They follow the teachings of Buddha. They believe the way to avoid reincarnation into an evil world is to practice meditation. And uh, alongside of that, other disciplines until all selfish desires are abandoned on their own. So as it relates to Buddhism, what is key uh, to know here is that ultimately like most Eastern religions, is that we can acquire, if you're a Buddhist, freedom from the evil of the world by virtue of meditation. And yeah, on one hand, this might be attractive, but the whole basis of the Christian faith is rooted in what but the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? The whole of the Paschal mystery points to the great Pentecost event, the event where we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because it is by virtue of the power of the, of the Holy Spirit that we can do what we do in the name of Jesus Christ, right? What did Peter say in the upper room? Yeah, now it is different. Now we can go forth. The whole of the Paschal mystery points to this great event. What do we read in Romans chapter 8? Verses what, 24, 25 and following. Only by virtue of the gift of the Holy Spirit can we even begin to pray. 
and pray as we ought, as Paul notes in sighs and groans. Right? So here, what I want us to see is that, yeah, meditation is a good thing insofar as we have first invoked the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as we have, invite him into the nooks and crannies of our life that we are called to ultimately undo. And certainly when you talk about meditation, you're talking about that explicit practice where you are uh, exercising mind and heart upon a revelation, exercising mind and heart, meditating over certain passages from sacred scripture. And, and, and you do so to ask the question, Lord, based upon your revelation, based on something that has come to me outside of myself, right? Can I begin to rid myself from the evil in the world? But this is always an action in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to cooperate with God? Right? Cooperate. Cooperatus. Co. From the Latin cum, which means with. With who? But the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right. Third, how about Islam? Now, in the case with the Muslims, we can say that we worship the same God. And here I'm drawing from Second Vatican Council. Together with us, Muslims adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. Uh, the Muslim holy book, the Quran, also affirms this, right? Allah tells his prophet Muhammad to say to the people of the book, that is the Jews, Christians, and a few other groups who are considered to have received a genuine revelation from Allah, our God and your God is one, and to him we have surrendered. Now, okay, uh, all fine and well, but <laughs> Vatican II and no other book could not have meant that Muslims and Catholics have exactly the same doctrine of God. In fact, the Quran and Islamic tradition present a picture of God very different from that of the Bible and Catholic tradition and Christian history. That really, it would be difficult to maintain that we believe in uh, the same triune God. When you start talking about the Trinity, that is where the Christian begins to separate themselves from the Muslim. Uh, the Quran several times denies the Trinity, or at least attempts to do so. And so in the Muslim holy book, Allah asked Jesus, O Jesus, son of Mary, didst thou say unto man, take me and my mother as gods apart from God? Uh, so here clearly we have a conflict, and that conflict is rooted in the Trinity. What do we believe? God is a unity and distinction. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this unity is rooted in what but love. If we look at the Trinity as the Father eternally loving the Son, and the Son eternally receiving this love, giving birth to the Holy Spirit, which is the love shared between the Father and the Son, then we can say this. That in the Trinity we have love given, love received, and love shared. This lies at the heart of our Christian and Catholic faith, and ultimately is opposed to what Islam claims to be God. So while there might be some similarities, as Vatican II affirms, there is a, a very important distinction to be had when it comes to the Trinity. 
Lastly, as we look at the scope of religions, uh, due to the rise of the New Age, I think we ought to also comment on this belief that, that the New Age is just another Christian religion that brings us close to God. Nothing can be ever so far from the truth. <laughs> New Age followers refer to God as a higher consciousness within themselves. Drawing from many ancient spiritual traditions, they believe in the self as the originator and ultimately the ultimate reality or God. The new age, my friends, is very dangerous because it taps into the occult on a very deep level and consequently, why many who practice the new age movement have been possessed by demons. This is not fairy tales. This is reality. What you see on the screen in Hollywood and all of these movies that want to place an emphasis on possession, do your homework. It is very, very real. Uh, Something else that comes out from the New Age movement is this idea that we can be spiritual but not religious. I received that question before. Can I be spiritual but not religious? Or just the comment or, or observation, I am spiritual but not religious. My friends, here again, we have to look at the words we're using, right? The word religion comes from the Latin religare. It literally means to belong to God or to be bound to God. How are you bound by God in the Christian revelation, but in the sacramental life? Quite literally, binding yourself to God by virtue of oath swearing. We receive the gift of the Spirit. We become spiritual as a consequence of what religion? The sacramental life of the church. We cannot just conjure up the Spirit. This, again, is what separates Christianity from every other religion. It just doesn't work that way. Right? So, if you're spiritual, well, that means you're religious. (laughs) You're spiritual because of religion. Now, All this leads to our discussion on Christ. Christianity is a faith in a transcendent yet eminent God who sent his one and only son as a savior who lived and died here on earth as a man. Okay? Jesus claimed to be God himself, not a prophet or other religious sage. No, he leaves no other options. But that he was indeed God. In the words of C.S. Lewis, he was either a maniac, a liar, or, well, what he said he was, God. And history has proven he certainly was not a maniac or a liar, but God. Christianity, as I've already noted, really brings us into conversation with that highest truth. That in the revelation of the God-man, Jesus Christ, we have something that points back to God in his triune identity. Love given love received, love shared. So what does all of this mean alongside of answering your question? Well, he is, that is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, as John chapter 14, verse 6 reminds us. So not just another way like that of Buddha, but the way. Hmm? Not just another teacher of truth, but the truth. And not just one who gives life, but the life. Christ, my friends, is at the center of our faith. And by that we mean Jesus standing at the center of everything. 
Not one teacher among the many, but the one around which everything else revolves. You see, my friends, we don't allow Christ to be positioned by something outside of him. Rather, he positions us with him at the center. Once we have entered into this reality that Christ is at the center of our spiritual life, everything else clusters around it. And I dare say, it does so beautifully. I've used the image before. It is like the rose budding, where you have these beautiful petals cluster together around its center. Uh, Now, I know I've put an emphasis on the Holy Spirit, and now I'm talking about this Christ-centered life. Well, where one goes, so goes the other. Where one goes, so goes the other. All right, so I hope I have answered your questions fairly. There's so much more we could say, but at the very least, I think we have planted seeds here on this radio program called The Seeds of Truth. Please continue to send me all of your questions, your comments, your observations to me. You can send them to j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website at joeholcraft.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. Uh, As you know, if you are a faithful listener to this radio program, I love to uh, read what you are thinking about. It tells me what I need to spend more time on, so please don't hesitate to send me uh, those messages, those questions, those observations, those flying accusations. No, no, <laughs> just kidding. Well, maybe if you, if you have an accusation, send it my way and, and let's, have, let's have the conversation. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.